Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Real spoilers powered by ReviewSTL.com. Warning, the following film discussion will ruin the ending of any movie you haven't seen. Example, Bruce Willis is dead at the end of The Sixth Sense. See how I ruined it for you? Just like that. Here are a few more. Silent Breed is people! I am your father. Get it? Real spoilers. You've been warned. Broadcasting from the Lush But Not Lavish studios located in the basement of the O'Keefe Institute for Advanced Film Snarkitude, this is Real Spoilers, episode 570, Misbegotten Sequels, Grease <laughs> 2. Wow. You're welcome, Joe. Ah. The whole time I was watching this movie, and I had never seen this movie before, <laughs> Yeah, and knowing how I felt about it, all I could think <laughs> of was Joe and how I could not wait to get his reaction. Yeah, because I was... Ha- I was hate watching the crap out of it. So, because, yeah, because Kevin and I, we, we, we like musicals. A good musical, we right. totally dig. And, uh, yep. um, and, <laughs> but this is not one. And, oh my God. And if you already don't like musicals, I can't even imagine. Like me. Did, uh, did your wife watch this one with you too? Uh, bits and pieces. She was, I, that was, I, I, we watched this one first. Yeah. So, like, she's kind of bouncing around the house in and out. Yeah. But Gwen was like, sitting on my chest like laying down on my chest and just i don't know if she was enamored by just the colors but she was like at a different point she would just get up and walk away right was like no nah, that's the right reaction kid yeah that's what was, i wish i could do that well to be fair i mean it is better than monster squad so i get it whoa <laughs> whoa whoa i think edit that out Kevin. i think there's a grand total of there's one <laughs> good scene in this whole movie I think the credits or are you not counting that? <laughs> no, I was I I think the the uh reproduction number I think is really good. And oh ev- man. Oh. And everything else in this movie is awful. I didn't I didn't mind the the principal and her assistant when they were doing the announcements. Yeah, and those were just I, leftover I enjoyed that. Those were just leftover gags from the first one, but uh, Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's I, why I enjoyed oh, it. <laughs> this movie and these songs. I mean, and again, like Tom said, I mean, I love musicals. We're yeah. musical people, and these songs are so bad. 
It's real bad. Yeah, yeah. they're very it's very bad. Real bad. So I guess let's uh, let's first go around the table and everyone can introduce themselves. This is Joe. This is Kevin. And this is Tom. And uh, also, don't forget, uh, quick shameless plugs. You can find us on the Facebook at facebook.com slash real spoilers while you're there. Like the page and join the group so you can chime in about these movies yourself. We love to have the conversation. Wherever you're getting your podcast, subscribe so you never miss an episode. And check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash real spoilers, where for five bucks a month, you help us out. We appreciate that. And you, in return, get all sorts of bonus content. So... There we go. Now, Grease 2. Grease, let's back up, was a juggernaut of a movie. Yeah. Unadjusted for inflation, it made almost $400 million. Oh, my God. What is is, is that adjusted? I have no idea. Out of curiosity. I have no idea. But uh, okay. but I mean, four hundred got to be closer to a billion dollars. Got adjusted, be. you know, because you're talking what 1978. And, yeah, it's yeah. got to be, and uh, that's on a six million dollar budget. Oh my god! And <laughs> and you're not even factoring in the sales from the soundtrack. Oh sure, you, sure, you sure, know sure. what I mean? Yeah. Like an all the money because I mean that soundtrack sold like an MF or two, and so yeah. like that thing was an absolute beast and and uh and i will also say i have your answer tom uh, you adjusted it for inflation 1.5 billion dollars wow. my goodness yeah so the, that's marvel movie territory beyond yeah like yeah, so that's true yeah so the the question then becomes what took them so long to make a second one right like but uh but yeah, like this, this, that thing was a juggernaut. But I will also say that movie is enjoyable. Yeah. Like, but it's also not good. Like, it does a lot of the same dumb stuff that Grease 2 does. But for whatever reason, and I think some of it is the songs are way better. Right. But I think also the cast is way better. Yeah. Yes. But, um, but for, but is it? I mean, honestly, the only thing they're missing is a John Travolta, right? Because because Michelle Pfeiffer would go on to be a much bigger movie movie star than Olivia Newton John. Absolutely. So so you have an, someone who would go on to be an A list movie star. But it's not the it's not the main cast though. That's not the problem. So the two main characters in this movie are fine. I like Michael. I think I'm like I think he's fine. I think he's charismatic. I like I think he had he carries himself a certain way. Like Michelle Pfeiffer is Michelle Pfeiffer. Although I still think she's awkward in this movie. Yeah. But the problem is the entire supporting cast is terrible. And so there is nothing authentic about this supporting cast. When you watch Grease back from the 70s, the T-Birds are cool. The Pink Ladies are cool. As goofy and silly and as, you know, misfits they are or whatever, they are cool. And this movie, are they? these T-Birds yeah. <laughs> are the most piece of crap, douchebag, not cool losers in a movie. You know, like there is nothing authentic or likable about these characters. Is this her first role? Like how early is this in her career? It's very early, but I don't think it's her first role. She was wasn't she in a, an American Graffiti knockoff called uh oh like uh, Hollywood Nights? Was she in that? Oh, maybe that sounds familiar. When was, when was that Landis flick with Goldblum into the night? Um, that I don't know. Um, 
Uh, let's see here. So she was in television. Oh, she made her acting debut on Fantasy Island. Wow. Look at that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And she was in Hollywood Nights in 1980. Okay. Yeah. And then if you haven't if you haven't seen Into the Night, I highly recommend that. Yeah. That is a good little like forgotten Landis gem. Boy, that, I haven't seen I that one. I didn't, oh, it's really good. I didn't realize she did tele- she was doing television work in the 70s. Boy, she made the rounds. She did Chips and then uh Bad Cats, that's B-A-D, like B apostrophe, A apostrophe, D apostrophe, oh. which I think might be what inspired the Quentin Tarantino I think thing. I think you're right. Um, the the fake show from Pulp Fiction that uh, yeah. Mia Wallace was on. Uh, and then- um, that, that Uma Thurman ended up being a part of? Yes. And then uh, she was on Delta House, which was the TV version of Animal House. Okay. And then she was on Enos, which was the Dukes of Hazard spinoff based around <laughs> Enos. So, oh, because wow. because who wouldn't want to see that, right? Yeah. yeah. So, but do you guys agree with me though? The cast of this movie, the characters, the supporting characters are all very unlikable. I think I think the advantage that the first one had is you did have Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, obviously, mm-hmm. are your front people, right? But the people that surround them were at Stocker Channing, um, Jeff Conaway. And- Jeff, yeah, all of those people that surround them make them better. And in this one, you get the bad guy from Happy Gilmore. <laughs> you get Shooter McGavin. <laughs> Shooter McGavin and Adrian um, Zamed. What is his name? Ahmed? Adrian Zamed, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, you you know, you're kind of, the people that surround Travolta, are they're dopes, but, right? Like, sure. They're big dopes. But they're in, dumb But, they're supposed to but be. Adrian yeah. Zamed had played Danny Zuko on Broadway. Like, he's not a talentless guy, you know? I don't think he was. He is not talented. No, I don't. But it's just his character was the garbage. script. The script is awful. Talk about bad scripts. It's just the lines that come out of their mouths yeah. in this movie. It's, but there's it's bad lines in Greece. But for some reason they work. And I don't. I totally like, hear you. I totally agree. Tom. It's, <laughs> and I'm not defending this movie. I'm more just trying to figure out why. And that's what I love so much about these misbegotten sequels is that they're they're fascinating curiosities in terms of like why does something work in one context and not in another because i feel like on paper this movie is doing a lot of the same things that greece did but are there more songs in this than greece no i think there's no, fewer like greece is pr- okay greece had a ton of songs and their soundtrack was a was a double album um okay but uh, but the soundtrack also had uh, a a lot of songs. There was like almost an entire album side that was basically Sha Na Na doing covers of oh. of songs from the era like Blue Moon and whatnot. And but I think yeah. that uh, I'm, I'm just saying that I listened to the Grease soundtrack a lot when I was a child. <laughs> I think what it came down to is they probably had enough songs for for three album sides. Okay. Or like two and a half, and they didn't want to cut songs. Yeah. And so they went with the double album route, um, and and then padded it with these Shana with Shanana covering classic songs. A lot and a lot of them you hear in the movie, but they're at the background when they're at the dance. And sure, and, uh, sure, sure, sure. And then there's um, I think there's one or two songs in the soundtrack that maybe weren't in the movie, but were either cut from the movie or were left over from the play, and then. I guess there were what two songs in the movie that weren't in the play, right? 
That's oh, you're, it sounds I, sure. sounds right. I know. I, I I'm going to defer to you for this one. <laughs> well, you want to talk about wrestling? Let's talk about wrestling. Yeah, but I, I know what uh, hopelessly devoted was written for the film by one of the guys from Shanana, or at least co-written, <laughs> and then uh, um, I think we go together was also. Oh God! The way they tried to parody that in the luau, yep. yeah. Oh yep. my God! Well, they, like, that luau is ridiculous. Not we go together, but the the one that I got chills are multiplying. That song. You're the one that I want. You're the one that I want. There we go. Yeah. That oh, yeah. I think that we go, we go together is from the Parent Trap or from we go together yeah. is the like bibbity boop do doop bop do. Yeah, that's it, the one yeah. at the luau that, that they're they, clearly trying to create another right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, but you know the first Grease the songs are great like song great. after song after song Gr- songs are great the leads are great the supporting cast is good but I mean you know Grease kicks off with a a great theme oh, song which by is Frankie yeah. Valley which is also written for the film right like that's not in the yeah stage, right but, right and, and so like yeah. you've got Frankie Valley you've got that Grease theme which is a fantastic theme you have the great animation that goes with it on yeah. screen this movie starts off with the most worthless flash mob of students <laughs> yeah and the wor- like it's just from the beginning it is horrible this looks like such a high school production of something going on like but they're the- they're trying to take a page from that first movie though because like this time that song is sung by the four tops wow so they're they're trying to do that same thing of like they're <laughs> of like oh well, we had frankie valley singing it yeah. so let's 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 do this you they're know? trying i mean they're yeah, trying I, just, I i guess i feel like the songs in greece weren't long like you get it like a good two to three minutes and then we're back to the story this one they're like no we're gonna do all six verses plus the chorus in between the verses and then we're gonna do maybe a secret verse that we don't know about i yet. think i there's some truth i i there are two songs that i think I absolutely agree with you. That opening number, "Back to School Again," man, oh just man, does not end. And then no. the uh, and then "Score Tonight" does the same thing. The bowling alley number that was I. You I could, don't even have words. You could for that hear. Song. You could hear the edits where they yes. would like <laughs> loop back and play a different part of the song again <laughs> to make it longer. And I was like, "What are you doing?" Why are yeah, we it, padding whoa. this? Also, how about okay? So, talk about a bad script. Other than the dialogue, how about the entire plot point that you've got your T birds are trying to try out for a talent show, but they can't sing, but they are singing the entire movie, right? <laughs> like, but then all of a sudden they start they're, they're they knock it out of the park at the end. Like, yeah. I mean, has Tom? Have you ever seen a musical do that where it's a musical so people bust into song and they're good singers like the songs are bad but I mean they sing fine and then there's a plot point that those singers who have sang the entire movie can't sing but nothing's cu- that's a, like nothing's jumping out for me like yeah. that's a terrible plot point you can't have them singing the entire movie and then when they're out of song you're like god I wish we could sing <laughs> yeah. this was this was straight to theaters right this was not going to broadway oh yeah there's, yes this was this was yeah like the original grease was a broadway show that got adapted yeah, for yeah, the screen yeah. this was entirely created for the screen and it's directed um by a woman which you don't get a lot of in, in at this time i mean you don't get a lot of it now but you got even less of it yeah, then. i was like nothing's changed but what I thought was so odd is I thought for the most part the dance numbers were so bad, but this director was the choreographer from the first film. Wow! And but Ooh, it man. but it sounds like from what from the reading I've been doing, it sounds like it was a very troubled production in that, um, like the script wasn't finished, oh. and so they were like 
rewrite never bodes well. Yeah, they were rewriting the script on the fly, and uh, um, and because I I read it, I came across an interview with Didi Khan who plays the beauty school dropout character. Yeah, um, the only returning cast oh, member. No, from she's the first no, one. she's not the old. There's lots of returning cast members. Is there? Yeah. So the principal and her assistant are returning. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Um, Sid the, Caesar. Sid Caesar's returning. Mm-hmm. That teacher that has the the like the nervous breakdown. He was in the first one. Okay. Dean Khan was in the first one. So but, no, there are there are a surprising number. Oh, uh, Eddie Deason was in the first. Who one. Who was that? The really nerdy guy. Uh, oh, Eugene, okay, okay. Um, who you've but seen what, play a nerdy guy? But but no, key, I get what Joe means though. Like no characters you give a about <laughs> you know you don't get any of the t-birds or pink ladies right and then you get you get frenchy back and she's in for an extended cameo like they did they filmed three scenes with her because halfway through the movie she never shows up again i'm like i was talking to katie i'm like was she at the luau where did she go they wrote her out of the movie she oh. that, that so the, well, that's where i was going yeah but that she said that like halfway through the movie they were like yeah we don't need you anymore you can you oh can my leave. god and uh. she was just like i mean like, she just she, so they wrote this her out of the movie is... midway through, and then I think they realized they needed a stronger tie to the first film, and uh-huh. so they they ended up reinserting her scenes. But then they didn't film the back half of them, so there was <laughs> yeah yeah. So this M- Michael, this, this is this Sandy's son, cousin, no, cousin. Okay, yeah, because it's only a year. It's uh like That's two years I, later. It's two years later. I I remember I remember hearing Frenchie say Sandy, and I was like, wait, so we're even gonna mention. That's we're gonna mention Olivia Newton John. Yeah, I mean they're not they're trying to connect. I mean, you know, obviously it's Rideau High. A lot of the teachers are the same, and 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 uh, and I know originally like uh, Jeff Conway was supposed to play the manager at the bowling alley, but then they decided not to, and then uh, um well, they tr- they tried to get Tra- Travolta and Olivia Newton John that they were in discussions to come yeah. back. I think for like a you know brief cameo, and then. Yeah. They and then that fell apart. So you know what what this sequel does wrong, like really wrong. So we've talked about our other bad sequels, and at least they try to recreate the first movie with certain archetypes, and right. they, they they replace it with certain characters that are similar. So at least you get that feeling of either nostalgia or you know they worked the first time. Let's try it again. Like they replace Danny Zuko who is John Travolta at like, you know, at the pinnacle of his popularity and his charisma and charm and everything. I mean, I know he'd been around for a while, but like John Travolta in Greece, that is iconic. And then they replace him with this little dweeby douchebag (laughs) womanizing, like terrible person. Okay. Okay. Now in now, okay. Danny Zuko isn't the greatest guy either. No, He's not I mean, the greatest. Summer Lovin is basically all about date rape. I mean, yeah. it's catchy, but it's not. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> so so age is Grease Lightning. Well. Yeah. So you know, you know, like he's not the. He's not. You know, his his whole game in that is trying to score with Sandy. I, the whole Danny time. Zuko is trying to sound cool. I don't think that Danny Zuko. I think the. The mistake you're making, and I'm not defending this movie, but I yeah. think the problem with your analogy is you have mis-equated uh, who Danny Zuko is in this movie. Yeah. Danny Zuko is Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes, it's, and Michael is Sandy. And Michael is Sandy. Right. It's a gender flip. So, like, the guy that you're thinking of is Danny Zuko is really 
the I'm blanking on the name, the other one. Kanicki? Kanicki. Like he's yeah. really Kanicki. And the, but the problem is is that Kanicki doesn't have a Danny Zuko to play right, on. right. And that's so, okay. That's what I'm yeah. trying to say is that like yeah. so. Whereas you had Danny Zuko in this movie, so at least there was a likability and a charisma and a charm. You're given these four idiots that are not likable at all. Right. Even Kaniki. Kaniki was you know a, a lovable loser or whatever you want to say. Like he was a you know he was a too cool for school kind of guy. Yeah. Whatever, but like, well, but he had Danny Zuko. And the other and I think the other problem is the T Birds spend the entirety of the movie trying to take down the star of the movie who you're supposed to care about right right yeah. like right, so right, right. so they spend the whole time basically attacking the two leads instead of so like yes. they're against michael because he's the outsider he's australian he's a nerd whatever he's supposed to be and then and then uh and and then the the not the not kanicki character is also mad at uh at Michelle Pfeiffer because she doesn't want to go out with him anymore. Right. And you also throw in the rival biker gang who is right. mad at all of them. And that guy was also <laughs> the main old? guy was in the first was in Greece, but he I think technically played a different character, but it's the, it's right. the same actor. Yeah. That he guy looked like character. he was 50. <laughs> <laughs> He's a weird looking yeah. dude. He's a weird looking dude. So, so yeah, I mean, it's this is basically the same premise as Greece for the most part. Uh, they replaced the prom with a talent show. Like Which the way is they're the all... worst talent show ever. Oh, it's terrible. But like, like okay. you're looking at the way they're getting dressed up, and I was like, you know, it's just a like talent show. Like, yeah, you don't need to get all gussied up. This is what doesn't make any sense. And so Tom left to go to the bathroom, but I'm gonna have to get an explanation from him, unless you know about talent shows in this era, Joe. Uh, I know that you are the leading expert in uh, early '80s talent shows. I I don't want to toot my own horn. I have very but... few areas of expertise: <laughs> uh, wrestling, comic books. <laughs> Mid to late eighty talent shows. <laughs> okay, great. Well, that's, I'm glad that I is came where to my right expertise place. lands. Yeah, so that's why I was brought onto this podcast ah. five years ago. <laughs> so, in my recollection, and to the best of my knowledge, a talent show is like one person, a few people. They come on, they sing a song, they do some juggling, right? Like, I mean, you come and you do a talent, and then yeah, I mean, it's it's America's Got Talent, right? Like, you, you you're absolutely right. You come okay. on, you you get your band up there, you know, you get the the pinheads, if you will. Uh, or whoever do a do your talent and then you you win a prize if you had the best talent. Okay, so in this movie, a talent show is yes, you have a few pe- you have a few individual people, you have some quartets, you have a few small acts that do songs. Then you also have a musical production going on. <laughs> yes. Why are they casting for a talent show like a hundred person musical production about the su- the seasons, and then someone else comes on and does like, "Hello, my honey, hello, my baby." Like, <laughs> yeah. can Tom, can you explain wh- how this? talent show work no i i cannot and I, I i will also say that this is another classic example of if this movie was good you would not be asking yourself this question that's like, probably if true this movie was good if that final musical number was good you'd be like it's so silly like why would they don't do talent shows like this but and you wouldn't you know what i mean like but because this movie is not good like you're left asking questions like like that because it's there was there there was a moment where i'm 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 definitely drifting in and out of this movie like i'm mucking around on my ipad i'm flipping through a comic book and then all of a sudden i hear michael say when's the last time you read a superman comic yes and immediately i was like what whoa wait what are we doing and then i do like her reaction she's like uh not like this week I she, guess. yeah she's like not in the last few hours or something <laughs> yeah right but like and i was like oh i don't know that's i'm out thank you well because it, i mean you get 
the I, I I don't know that they really sold the joke there, but like he's doing Superman. Yeah, he's doing Superman. He's like he's yeah. like she's supposed she's Lois Lane. Like she's dating right. him and doesn't realize that she's dating him. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, like it, it just uh, an interesting piece of trivia that I came across while while reading on this movie. That, so. The goal was they were going to make four of these movies, like they the, this, like inc- including Grease one, so three extra ones or were, four yeah, sequels. They were their plan was to do two more movies after this and then launch a TV show, right? And, okay, and uh, which is very ambitious to think of trying to do a weekly musical <laughs> TV show. Like a few people have tried, it's a hill most people die on, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't um, think that's true. I mean, Glee worked, Glee worked, but again, but it's a hill, but. Cop rock. Yeah. What's tent. that? Isn't there a Jane Levy show on right now? Yeah, that Zoe's playlist. But they're recycling established songs. So does Glee. They don't use original ah, songs. You mean like brand new stuff? Right, right. So, um, Crazy Ex Girlfriend did it. It's amazing. You should watch it. Anyway, um, uh, so the plan was th- three more sequels, launch a TV show. This movie tanked so hard it 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 killed that right. Yeah, they don't deserve they, to ever mention the word Grease around right. television or movies after this movie. But like, they had started the projects, so they were oh, sure, they sure. were still floating around out there. So years later, somebody pulls up what would have been the script for Grease 3, mm-hmm. retools it, Oh no! and you get High School Musical. No kidding. I mean, that totally, that yeah. totally plays. I mean, yeah, if, if you think about a, a music about high school kids and the different archetypes and yeah. yeah, yeah. So here, okay, so here's my question about that. How long do scripts, are scripts allowed to sit until they revert back to whoever? So like, let's, let's say I sell a script to Universal. I think that Universal owns it now because I, I'm not 100%, but it's always been positioned as someone bought the script not someone licensed the script. So, so okay. So, I guess I'm gonna talk. I'm thinking. So, right. So, the rights to the Terminator reverted back to James Cameron. Okay. Right. So, like, how does the how does that? But those work? are that's not a script. Like that's, he created characters, right. and Property, and so James Cameron doesn't get the rights to the Terminator script. He gets the rights to the property. Like so, he which, developed it. So he basically said, you know. I'm going to work with you to develop these whatevers, but it's my yeah. property and at a certain time, you know, it all depends on the deal, but that's a little bit different than just like, here's this script you've purchased, this paper and words. I'm just thinking you know? of that and like, and Friday, that, 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 that just happened with Friday the 13th. Right. He couldn't reshoot Terminator, but he can make another movie with a T-1000 and a Skynet yeah. and... I see. You know, I see. Yeah. Okay. Well, that just happened with Friday the 13th. Like, it's a big... That's why we haven't gotten another Friday the 13th movie since 2009. Oh, I just thought it was the, good choices. You're... Get get out. <laughs> uh, but, like, the there's a rights issue where, like, the, the original writer of the first movie, the, the rights to the character kind of reverted back to him. But then Paramount was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, that's our... So it's been, like, it's been this battle to for the rights to the... That's why the, the last... Friday the 13th movie wasn't called Friday the 13th. Like, it was called Jason Goes to Hell and oh. Jason X. Like, that's why they're not called Friday the 13th. If you oh, okay. get, like, the box sets, mm-hmm. those aren't in there. Oh, like, they stop at, like They stop at, like, the 8th Friday the 13th because the, the rights have ch- changed after that 8th one. Well, that's gotcha. also part of the problem the Bond franchise had with Spectre yeah. for so long, you know? And it's how they could make that Thunderball movie, even though 
it wasn't Thunderball not or Thunderball, never, never say never again, which because it was because yeah, right, right, it was right. essentially a remake of Thunderball. Like that's yeah. how they could get away with that, but they couldn't really do anything after that. Hmm. I can tell you that's the that's the biggest bummer of like the reschedules. Is I was oh, man, I wanted to see that movie so bad. <laughs> so I was really looking forward to that movie. Maybe we should go song by song. That would be yeah. a good way to go through this movie. I think so. that's, this is on you, buddy, because uh, yeah. I couldn't tell you. Uh, well, I've just got the list in front of Same. me. But it, I, oh, yeah, good, good, it, good. I, the song sure are burned into my memory, I can tell you that. <laughs> so back um, to school so, again, which I think that scene is still being shot. It's so Oh, my, my God. God. It's so bad. It's the dance. The choreography is bad. The song is bad. It's it's just so terrible. If Correct me. In the original Grease, is everybody in the school involved in every number? Like in the opening scene, not Greece, every like, number's a dance, a flash mob. That's the right. thing. Like, but they, like, is every character when they when they break into song, it's just your main characters for that song, right? Like, the rest of the school isn't involved in any. of I it. think so because this stood out as like being a flash mob. Like to me, this was odd that they did it this way. I mean, I don't think you have anything until like we go together at the end. But then they're at like a where it's a, like one fair, like, so, yeah. So people are dancing because they're like having a good time or whatever. But uh, yeah, I don't think so. Um, okay. So then we go to score tonight at the bowling alley, Oof. which is just like I mean. So first of all, this song or this movie to me, every number, every dialogue feels so forced. Yeah. Like I I get that the first movie is about teenage angst and you know the the guys are trying to score and it's all about you know whatever typical high school stuff. But every single lyric and it seems like every piece of dialogue is so sexually charged. <laughs> yeah. it, it is just like it's so desperate and so forced um you know so and, and most of the songs are all innuendos and it's you know so it's every a, single song is you mean for this one or for the first one no no i okay the first one i love first one's great okay so i'm not yeah if i'm talking I mean, about Gre- it, grease lightning is definitely talking about his yeah well, no, i mean again the, the first movie i get it that's what <laughs> right. it's about that stuff but every single song and dialogue yes, about this one so i agree they're at the bowling alley and it's about let's score tonight so everybody's singing about scoring you know and and uh it's just this horrible dance number um yeah and let me tell you it's interesting to see the difference between a musical a popular musical in the 70s and in the 80s right because the the style the tones of these two movies are so different oh sure it just yeah, it's it's very uh it's in, you're right and i think it has to do with like the changing of the time right like yeah they're trying to i don't know like a 50s musical when done right can work in any era sure but when you're trying to put this weird because it almost they everybody in this movie looks like they're from the 80s which right which is the problem because this movie's supposed to take place two years after the first one but there's an 80s aesthetic they cannot shake but the but the first one has a pretty 70s aesthetic too i think a lot of hair and stuff i I mean i don't yeah and and again you just look past it but yeah there was this wave of nostalgia for like the late 50s early 60s in the 70s it kind of kicked off with american graffiti and then mm-hmm. rolled into happy days and then and then you get grease on broadway and then and then the movie and i guess it's weird it kind of bookends with american graffiti and then the film grease you know yeah it's also i think that's happening now there's this somebody jokingly said about the high-waisted jeans yeah that like what's happening is kids are watching friends and like that friends you know friends on netflix yeah and that friends style of fashion is coming back (laughs) because these kids are watching friends yeah and it's just like we lived through this like the high-waisted jeans i gotta tell you doesn't work (laughs) no it's weird 
<laughs> you know, like and watching. Um, we talked about it in Staying Alive, like the whole that whole uh, the girlfriend in that movie. Her her the way she's dressed looks like how girls and women are dressing today. So it's like the it's just culture doesn't change; it just cycles. Yeah, right. That's fashion. Yeah, fashion always comes back around again. So anyway, at the bowling alley, the main con- holding out for those Jenko jeans to come back. Yeah, he's still saving those ones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so at the bowling alley, the big uh, conflict comes between uh, Stephanie, the Michelle Pfeiffer character, and Johnny, the the not Kanicki douchebag leader of the T Birds. Uh, you know, they used to date; they're broken apart now. And then Stephanie's like, "I can kiss whoever I want," because it's like it's said that the T Birds and Pink Ladies are always supposed to pair up. And so- has that always been a thing? Like if you're a, if you're a T bird, you're dating a pink lady. You can't date anybody else. I mean, I inferred that from the first one, but in this one, they actually you know talk okay. about it. Okay, I didn't know if that was like a thing that I missed. I, you know, I you know, but uh, she's like, I can kiss whoever I want. I'll kiss the next person that walks through the door. So uh, then here comes Michael, uh, the Australian, Sandy's cousin, and she kisses him, and so now Johnny's jealous of him, and that that really starts off the animosity. Like they had a kerfluffle at school, but now you know he's messing with his his quote unquote girl. When they, if okay, so I jokingly said at the end of this movie when they finally kiss, when Michael and Stephanie kiss. Oh, the silent, the silent yes. kiss with just sound yes. effects of them. Yes, yeah, great. <laughs> and if like if I'm, if I'm that actor, uh-huh. and they're like, "Hey, you need to go make out with a 21 year old Michelle Pfeiffer," and I was like, "You're gonna have to give me like something to chill out because <laughs> this," and also like I gotta make it work. Right. Like if I'm if, you know, you're making out with a girl for the first time, a girl that you really like and is very attractive and you don't want to screw it up, you know, like you got to make it work. And there is zero chemistry. They hate when they when they kiss. They you can tell. Yeah. They hated each other when they kiss for the first like that, that that last big kiss. You're just like, man, you dropped the ball. But like 21 year old Michelle Pfeiffer, I got to tell you, 61 year old Michelle Pfeiffer. (laughs) doesn't matter but 21 year old michelle pfeiffer i gotta make this good well this guy was was like supposed to be the next big thing like he was like i can definitely see that like and supposedly he was very proud of himself and michelle pfeiffer had no patience for it and then he just thought (laughs) she was and then he that he thought she was a stuck-up bitch but like but like this guy was like the 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 it child like he they thought he was going to be a big deal so him getting cast in this both of them getting cast in these roles they were very sought after roles because people thought oh it's the sequel to Grease and it's going to get huge studio backing and they're going to have all this money to make the movie and they're going to do it right and and so like it it was a big deal and the fact that he got selected means the powers that be thought he was gonna be a thing you know he and I, I can you can see it he has the look i was just gonna say like he has he has the it factor when you watch him and like i looked him up to see like okay what else did he did clearly this guy was some kind of big deal and i i never saw him but um yeah i it's surprising that it didn't turn into more because did he do anything else is it just like bits and pieces here and there of note? no i mean i think okay. he was in stuff but um like I mean, after I was a, this he went pretty much straight back to theater um, yeah. oh. and for a long time so it's like if you look at his at his credits and he does some real stuff like before this he played John Merrick in the Elephant Man on, mm-hmm. on a national tour which is not an easy role and yeah. especially yeah. for a guy that's building a career out of being pretty you know a heartthrob yeah that he's in the Elephant Man says a lot but then like you know you look at his stage credits after this and he like 
He's in Journey's End in Los Angeles. He plays the lead in, in a stage production in 1984. He does a uh, a thing in New York for Paradise Lost. I mean, you know, he does a a lot of a lot of theater after a lot. He, of it, you can de- it, one of the things I notice about this movie is, is as it goes on, his V neck gets deeper and deeper and deeper hmm. the longer we go into this movie. Like well, he's when you cooler, see him for the you first, know? they're showing yeah, know, he's showing right? more chest. So the, to the point where, like, when he shows up in that leather vest, the v- it's, like, going down to his belly button. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, okay. Like, I get, like, in the first Grease, that was the deal with Sandy. Is if you watch that movie with a different look, like, her character look keeps changing. And by the time we get to the end of the movie, she looks like a, you know, a biker chick. She's got, like, the yeah. leather pants and her hair is all teased and she's got the bubble gum and... You know, compared to where she was with the poodle skirt and the headband in the very beginning of the movie, yeah. but it's a, so I was like, I see what we're trying to do, right? It's a What's gen- that? it's a gender oh, yeah, yeah, swap. Like that's, yeah. he's playing the you know, and uh, oh look, he, it looks like he also had a uh, he was on Dynasty and then the spinoff of Dynasty called the Colbys that he did like between the two like almost sixty episodes of that show. Oh, okay, and, so he got some work. Good. I mean, yeah. no, I don't want anybody to not work. This actor yeah. is Maxwell Caulfield. I don't think we said his name. Just oh, we for have not. The audience listening out there. Michael. Is playing Michael, yeah. So yeah. anyway, so that starts that whole thing off at the bowling alley. Uh, and then we go to Brad. They go to the talent show. They're doing tryouts, you know, for this huge uh, musical number about the seasons. Mm-hmm. And then they go to this little, you know, number with there's these two twins that are kind of flirting with Michael. And they're, you know, they're just these randos. Uh, so they do that little number, nothing big. And then at the talent show, basically, Michael is infatuated with uh, with the Michelle Pfeiffer character. And... And, you know, she wants nothing to do with him. He's he's not a, a, a T-bird. He's not a biker. You know, and this is where we get the song that everyone seems to love from this movie, Cool Rider. I mean, look. I think this I, is a bad song. I don't. I it's mean, a I know, terrible song. I, know I think people, it's bad, too. I know a lot of people dig it and, like, point to it as, as the high point of the film. But I really, it's I it's not good. I think, it's awful. I think, it's, I think Michelle Pfeiffer's bad in this movie. I don't think she's good. Yeah. She, it's okay. She's a, she's a. She's a very good and accomplished actress. Sure, I don't. I don't mm-hmm. think her musicals aren't her jam. That's what I'm saying. Like, she looks uncomfortable to me. Yeah. She looks she so just, uncomfortable. The, her dancing in this movie feels so like she's watching someone trying to mirror their moves. Like, yeah. am I getting this uh-huh. right? Like, nothing about her dance moves in this movie sell it to where John Travolta. Hell yeah, we all know John Travolta can dance. Uh, Olivia, even uh, even Olivia Newton-John. Can well, dance. No, of course not. Yeah. Even I mean, yes, Olivia yeah. Newton-John. She's amazing in it. I just mean like the leads and everybody. They're so charismatic and they're so believable. And that's why I say there's nothing authentic about most of the cast in this movie because they're doing bad choreography and bad songs. But then also, like in this case, Michelle Pfeiffer, like she's just not selling it to me. And she may be attractive, and I understand that in the eighties, I'm sure there's a lot of people that she was, you know, on a poster on their wall and they thought she was gorgeous. Oh, I mean Scarface, uh, you know, um I think Scarface is is Scarface kind of her coming out party? Like that's the one that that's the first thing I can set her off as like superstardom is like her being in a dramatic, a really good role. But the fabulous Baker Boys. Oh, that's a good movie. I, I don't. Yeah. It was not a big hit, but it's a good movie. And she's fantastic in that. Yes. Yeah. So cool. Rider is her the whole time. Describing- Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's her describing, you know, what she wants in a guy. She's, she's, you know, going all around the stage and climbing a ladder and doing all this stuff. But 
Yeah, it just it, to me it just didn't work. I think there's a real nostalgia goggles type thing going on, and I get it. Like we all have those movies that you know, sure they're called deep. We thought tacos. about it with our last movie. Yeah, Th- this movie you know? played on cable ad infinitum, and so I think yeah. there's a certain window of of person that saw watched this movie oh, over sure. and over again and developed an affinity for it, and I think that like I don't know that like present day really uh present day kids teenagers uh rewatch things with so- quite the same degree of frequency because the, I think you're absolutely there right there are so many more choices and you can go and select whatever you want on demand where yeah. when you're a kid and you've got two movie channels if you're lucky if your parents sprung for two you know, well, I had Channel Eleven on Saturdays. Yeah, and so like we, you know, we would get two movie channels, but normally because like if you bought HBO, they'd throw in Cinemax for like four bucks. Yeah, it, but uh, so it, you'd look and see like, okay, what's on the movie channels? And it's like if one showing Grease two, and the other is showing, you know, some boring nature documentary or costume <laughs> drama, you're like, guess I'm watching Grease two. And I think that you know there are a lot of movies that developed fan bases just because. It was that or nothing. Right. There are countless movies that I have a love for that probably that, you know, that I may not revisit with any regularity, but they were in that channel channel 11, which was like a local affiliate here, a KPL, a KPLR, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, like they, what they would do on Saturday mornings or Saturday afternoons is they would show three movies, right? Like mm-hmm. they do um, the after one at noon, one right. at two, and then maybe a third one, maybe. So there, and there were just movies that were in rotation. But if you saw, I was like, "Oh crap! Superman two is on channel eleven at eleven, you know, at twelve o'clock." I know what I'm doing. You know, like that's that's how we, that's how you watch stuff. And because I'm older than you are by fifteen years or so, when I was your age, <laughs> they what they showed at noon on Saturdays was Abbott and Costello, and they would show an sure. Abbott and Costello movie, and then they would follow it up with like either uh, uh, Martin and Lewis or Amon Pa Kettle or Francis the Talking Mule, and that's where I developed my affinity for those sorts of movies. Mm-hmm. The Stooges the Stooges were on Saturday nights yeah. at like 11.30, and that's where I that you know that's where I found it. You yeah. know, you're staying up a little bit later than you're supposed to because your parents, I'm a latchkey kid, my parents were paying zero attention to what I was doing. <laughs> uh, which, a funny story, we do like, a, we do, you know, with the quarantine and everything, we, my extended family did like a trivia night via zoom and my my one cousin is going into the military having this conversation with him and i tell you know i start saying like i almost went and my mom who's on the call goes you did what (laughs) and i was like yeah i was i was going mom and she was like we had no idea what you were up to and i was like (laughs) no you really didn't you had no clue what was going on but yeah like that's how you that's how kevin i don't does, does that ring a bell for you like what's that the Saturday 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 afternoon movies oh sure yeah I mean I okay. yeah, I was always big uh you know I would go to the uh grocery store that used to rent movies and I was more of like a let's go every you know week rent a couple movies on VHS type of thing okay um but sure no I mean definitely movies on TV I I get it um but that's the thing with this movie though is going back to that I you know I don't I have no animosity against people 
enjoying what they enjoy. We do a whole series of movies called Deep Fried Tacos. So when we say <laughs> these are bad, we're not trying to attack anyone. But from a critical point of view, with no nostalgia goggles, from from the perspective of people that like Tom and I love musicals, like these songs and numbers are very bad, and they're oh, yeah. they're poorly written. Um, the choreography is bad. So. I mean, it's just, it's very hard to watch these numbers and not, you know, and just stand by and be like, oh yeah, but you know, there's, there's not a lot of redeeming qualities in them is what we're saying. No, (laughs) no. So, so Michael hearing Michelle Pfeiffer's song realizes that he's got to change his look. He's got to do these cool things to be exactly who she wants him to be. So he starts doing uh, the T-Birds papers for money. Okay. I can accept that. Because he needs a cycle. Yeah. He needs a cycle, not a motorcycle, a cycle. I've never no. heard them called this before. Like in the first movie, is that 40s or 50s talk or whatever, a cycle? I, I mean, you hear people say it, but it's not very common. And I and I think what they're really trying to do is because the first movie was all about a, about cars. Yeah. They're yeah. trying to differentiate themselves to some degree. So this one's all about motorcycles, right? Okay. And, but And I will say, to the movie's credit, and again, it's 1982 – the the idea of like Michelle Pfeiffer's character is very like I'm gonna I'm gonna go out with who I want to go out with and I'm gonna kiss who I want to kiss and you have the, the the you have the man trying to change to fit the woman's ideal yeah of what she wants like that like that's a pretty unique take in a film. You know, um, I think that that works. Yeah. And I, I think that's part of what resonates with this film for a lot of people is that I think there were probably a lot of girls that were like they they had never seen something like that on screen before. That's a pretty uncommon thing. And it's a pretty proto feminist take in a movie that also is going to have a, an ode to date rape coming up. But oh, uh, God. oh it's so bad. <laughs> and I got to tell you, if Michelle Pfeiffer wanted me to dress a certain way and act a certain way, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, so he's trying to earn money to get a cycle. And so right. he starts doing all their papers and, and, I'm telling you what, this motorcycle montage was one of the worst things I've seen on film. (laughs) Like, montages, we're used to some great montages. And you're talking about montages in the 80s? Like, come on. That that was the heyday of montages. We have seen some great, powerful, amazing (laughs) montages with great music backing them up. In this one, you get, like, the sleepy background song of Cool Rider mixed with just, like, sound (laughs) effects from him crashing around on a bike. It's the most worthless montage, I think, in film yeah. history. I've never seen a worse Real one. bad. It's bad. Real bad. <laughs> uh, so he starts to, you know, they, they're they bowling one night, and here comes the the other biker gang, I guess. And everybody's like, oh, there's only one well, of them you, outside. You skipped over reproduction if we're going song by song. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is the highlight of the movie. <laughs> I, I mean, I think this, this is quasi-rapey as well. It, but it also does, like... I get what you're saying. There are some problematic points, but it's also like how guys back then would have behaved. They're super yeah, horny. I know. Yeah, the yeah. girls keep them in their place, and then and then the girls and then they both flip, and the girls yeah. start singing the boy parts, and the boys start singing the girl parts, like role playing to show each of them how they think they look. And I think I think the the lines are fairly fairly clever. I mean, they're juvenile. It's a sex joke, but. Right. But and and I think it's one of the few songs in the movie that honestly kind of sounds 
like it would fit with the first film. And so yeah. many, and yeah. so and uh and I thought the choreography was great. Like they're in a tight space, a, so you can't you ain't lying. So you yeah. can't do like big, huge like kick lines and stuff. Right. And there's so much like stuff going on from a choreography standpoint. I I, I really enjoy this number. I think this is a really really good scene. Could you? It's an okay. So as as you're talking, could you do this? Could you do Grease two? In the vein of like a raunchy '80s sex comedy. I mean, I don't think you or you could or or do they want to stick with like the Grease Two aesthetic? Well, I mean, I think if they'd have done that, they'd have you know you're talking like a musical version of Porky's. I don't think that yeah. like that wouldn't have been Grease at that point. But I will that's also say yeah. I think that's one of the big problem with these numbers is that the songs from Grease were original songs that sounded like songs from the era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. these songs don't sound like they're from the late 50s and yes you've nailed it no they sound like they're from the 80s right and and i I do think reproduction fits sonically with what grease did and every once in a while you'd you'd get like a vocal delivery where that would mimic what they did in grease where they'd do a line and then they'd be like guy yeah yeah or whatever you know yeah but um but like part of what made grease was the original Grease, the Broadway production of Grease, like today we're very used to what they call jukebox musicals, right? Where, you know, yeah. you get, you know, the ABBA musical and the Billy Joel musical and they, and they take the songs that you already know and love and they write a story around them. Grease was a jukebox musical before they existed. I mean, they're, <laughs> I mean, honestly, the, I, there are ad mats for Grease that are literally the jukebox, right? And <laughs> sure, and, sure. But they couldn't afford to license those songs. They probably didn't even think it was possible back then. <laughs> yeah. So they wrote songs that sounded like that, and that was kind of their end run around. It's going to be this big homage to the fifties and sixties, and we can't afford those songs, so we'll write a bunch of songs that sound like it, right? And and they don't do that here. Like none of these songs sound like they should be that they could have they could be from that era. So yeah. I, I think that's a great, that's a great point. No, that's very true. No, that's, that's a great, great point. I totally, I didn't think about that until you said that, but yeah, the, the songs from Greece do sound like they're from that era where this one sounds like they're from that era, but the era is the age. But, but right. also yeah. the songs are garbage. Yeah, that's also There's, true. I mean, lyrically they're terrible. Like they have some of the worst lyrics. They're not, they're not good. They don't sound right. And they're just, yeah, they're except they're for reproduction. Yeah. Well, okay. So, I, okay. I'll give you that it may be the best in this movie. Um, I didn't care for it much, but looking back at it, yes, it probably is the best. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So they, uh, you know, Michael ends up donning this Batman-esque uh, leather attire. He's Silent Bob and Mallrats. He is Silent Bob and Mallrats. <laughs> oh, I wonder. I mean, it's the same look. Yeah. It's the, it has to be that, <laughs> that that could not have been on accident <laughs> on Kevin Smith's part, huh? Uh, so yeah, so he shows up that they're bowling. Of course, the rival gang shows up, and the uh, cowardly T birds think that's only one of them. So they all go outside to beat the one guy up, but it turns out the entire gang is there, and of course they're just like, uh, I don't want to do this no more. And here comes Michael on a motorcycle, and he kicks one of them, and he kind of shows off and he's in the matter of a week he's become a expert motorcycle rider guy um and michelle pfeiffer falls head over heels for him um 
so we've only got 10 minutes left in this podcast and I think we're doing 60 minutes of suck relationship is budding between Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael. Michael decides he's like, I got to tell her I can't lie to her. Uh, he starts to develop a relationship with Michael out. It is very Superman esque. I didn't think about that until we started talking <laughs> about it where Michael starts to, she falls for super for not for biker Michael. And then like a not biker Michael has to figure out a way to make her fall in love with him too. Well, this is what we just talked about with Batman and Catwoman. I mean, I, oh, they got Michelle Pfeiffer twice. Yeah, I brought this. I brought <laughs> this up a couple weeks ago too. Like, I love the idea of the you know don't judge a book by its cover type thing. This is like when Tom brought up you got mail that two people could be could like each other in one scenario, and then when they know who one another are, just because they know who they are, not I think. I, I like that idea a lot and I wish it weren't a better yeah. movie here, but that's what they're doing is that trope. That's funny. They did. They got her twice. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So he ends up making her, they are having a connection outside of not biker Michael. Uh, and then they the, you know, he, they see each other at the Michelle Pfeiffer works at this gas station and for whatever reason, she can't multitask for anything. <laughs> like it's just, you know, you know, if you just take one car at a time, you're going to be okay. So, like, she's pumping gas for one guy, and then somebody else pulls up and asks for their windshield to be wiped. Another guy pulls up and asks for a map, and it's just like, just pump the brakes, (laughs) take care of the money, go do the windshield, then do the map. You're all right. Um, But then Michael shows up on the bike, and it it is. It's almost exactly what happens in Superman 78, where the scene in Superman 78 where Superman – where Clark walks into Lois's apartment and he's going to tell her who he is. Like, you know, he does the whole, he stands up straight, takes the glasses off and he's like, you know, Lois, I have to tell you something. And she's like, yeah. And she comes out of the bathroom. And of course he goes back into being Clark Kent because he can't do it. The exact same thing happens here. I think, I mean, they, at least, I mean, they, they bring up Superman comics. So I think they're admitting to taking that. Yeah. Right. So he does the same thing where he takes the goggles down and he's like, I have to tell you something. And she's like, what? And then he pulls the goggles back up and he's like, nah, bad guys here. Got to go by. Um, so then he says, I'll meet you at the talent show 7 p.m. Blah, blah, blah. OK, so in the meantime, do it for our country where the guy tries to trick a girl into being locked into a bunker. OK, this is the biggest. Why is he in a bunker? I know that Michael was doing his homework down there. Why is Michael in a bunker? It was the house that he is staying at had like that was a thing back then. People would build shelters in case there was a, a an atomic war. Why is he Why is he staying in the bunker? I well, I think he was using it to to do his homework. I think I there's a there's a deleted scene or two. I think because okay, I know okay. that like the guy who played they had cast and filmed the an actor to play the like the parent figure he was living with okay and it was tom poston who you would probably know best as the caretaker on the new heart sitcom from the 80s okay i think you would know that best. <laughs> you you've never seen new heart where he owns the no I have, in I have i have no recollection of the characters but if, I've, if I've, you google tom poston you as soon as you see him you'll go oh yeah. i know exactly who you're talking oh, okay about. but uh um but i know they filmed scene a scene or two with him and and it and he did not make the movie and so my guess is that that the existence of that bunker was somewhat explained okay. but but okay. that was a that was a common thing in fact it was even a plot point on happy days at one point uh richie's dad was gonna build a, a fallout shelter and i thought it was huh. weird they kept referring to nuclear war which um 
uh, is, wouldn't have been a thing yet. Right? They would have referred to it as an, as an atomic war, atom bomb, okay, or okay. they. I, nobody was calling it that back then. But but yeah. So so is it is this scene more or less offensive than the Revenge of the Nerd scene? Well, less because he doesn't actually have sex with her. I guess that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. But like to tr- it's attempted to tr- rape by deception instead of rape by deception yeah right, like right, right. it's I, this it just plays so poorly and i know that we're living in a different time now but i mean come on to try to trick her into that and yeah that war's going on and then he's like coming at her with a gun yeah it's pretty pretty rough it's pretty 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 gross like just the fact that he's holding a rifle on his shoulder yeah cornering her and saying we need to do it for our country now i mean i think it's kind of a funny little gag that she's talking about something else like i did at least appreciate that there was a misunderstanding going on but the whole the situation as a whole was very creepy not good yes no. No, it's almost it's I, I was comparing it to back to the future where like that whole scene with biff and lorraine in the car is i mean it's if you but he's uh, the bad there's guy. no way to, but it's played but for tension yeah. it's played Correct. to establish that he's Correct. a bad guy where here it's like he's so goofy boys are so horny and dumb right what you gonna do yeah there's know. a way to do that right and, and it is back to the future where it's like oh no he's the, and then when he gets the comeuppance at the end a where he gets punched in the face but b when he becomes george's lackey basically right you're like yeah okay you that's what you deserve yeah where this one you're like the guy gets away with it he's he's the lovable loser he's the yeah. t-birds are like supposed to be if there is a good guy in this movie it's them but and they're yeah. so but this irredeemable was a, this was a common trope in movies back then uh, just the idea of like boys going to elaborate means lengths to yeah. try and have sex right yeah, yeah. um it's almost like it's, it's it's porkies where they have the right uh, or meatballs? It's Porky's, right? Porky's. Porky's is the the hole in the shower. Well, yeah, which also has not aged well, right? No, it does and, not. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's an it's an entire it's the entire plot essentially, or at least major subplot of Sixteen Candles, right? Yeah. And, oh yeah, and, big time. And uh, and so like sometimes that can play as cute and funny, and sometimes they take it too far, and they you know in within that time frame they were seeing it as silly. Where now we see it as like, oh, dude, that's not silly at all. Like, no, you know, like, and you, you go to jail if you look at a movie like Superbad, which is all about them trying to go to a party so they can get laid. But like, yeah. it never rises to the level of of anything appearing like force or rape. It's just they're horny kids that that want to have sex for the first time. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, it's also I think with all three of those characters, Michael, Sarah, Jonah Hill, and uh, McLovin, Christopher, Michael, like, Plintz. Yes, thank you. Yes. Like the the Michael Sarah and his girl, it never happens because the A they're both too drunk. Right. B the girl throws up and then C he takes care of her. Right. Like he doesn't go after her. Mm-hmm. Um the Jonah Hill Emma Stone thing just never happens because right. he headbutts her in the face and breaks her nose. The the McLovin one, like everybody's sober and they're all on board and there is a bit of deception on McLovin's part, but it's not like He's deceiving a girl younger. Right. Like they're the same. And it's the girl that he's been lusting after the entire movie. Yeah. You know, like that scene where he's <laughs> when he's walking behind her and she was just like, did you say something? And he's like, uh, 
We got to get back to this movie, though, guys. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, sorry, anyway, okay. so then uh, Prowlin'. So, this song that they, the four T Birds at the talent show do this terrible rendition of Prowlin', because remember, they can't sing. But then, after they all get denied for sex, the main guy's like, hey, I got an idea. Let's go Prowlin'. And then they do this, yeah, in quotes, terrific rendition, because it's as terrific as it can be. But right. they, they can <laughs> sing perfectly well, and they have a whole yeah. number. Just because I guess they really are horny now, like I don't know what makes them good all of a sudden. Right. But now they're doing a like professional rendition of of uh, Prowlin. They are they flash forward to the talent show and they've got a set and lighting and girls in the background performing with them. So that happens, I guess. And it's just a creepy song about how like if you go to the grocery store, the checkers will put out. Yeah, it's it's weird the way they like. I know Greece has songs with sexual innuendos, and it's like, but they feel so forced here. Yeah. Where in Greece they didn't, and, yeah. And when they did it, they did it in different ways. And there was an there was still an innocence about the film, mm-hmm. even though there were some 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 raunchy parts and uh, in a PG sense, uh, where this movie does not have like they like prowling. Is a is a good enough song, but just when it gets to all the grocery store stuff, it's just like, what is this? What does this have to do with yeah, anything else in the song? Yeah, like, it's because there's no subtlety to it. Like in Greece, yeah. all those things went over my head. Like as a kid, I enjoyed the songs, I enjoyed the movie, but like I was too young to understand it. And they and it could work on two levels. And this movie, it's so forced, and they do not have subtlety. Like all the double entendres are just like hitting you in the face over and over again. And yeah, it's just there is nothing subtle about this movie. No. Uh, so just to wrap this up, it, Michael ends up showing up at the talent show. The T-Birds kind of chase him away and you think that he's died. Like he goes down Dead Man's Curve. That's actually what it's called. I'm not making that up. He, and like you see his tire track go off the this jump. <laughs> he flies like he's E.T. going in front of the moon. <laughs> like earlier in the yeah. movie, somehow he jumps a cop car with no ramp. Like a motorcycle yeah, can just yeah. jump over a cop car. <laughs> I have no and idea. And so they're like, oh, I saw him jump a cop car. He'll be fine. It's a 100-foot ravine <laughs> that he's supposed to jump over. So anyway, and then you don't see him again. There is a, there is a point where I was like, did they kill him? Because you don't see him again until the very end of the movie. Which is the next day. But yeah, you don't. he never sure. comes back. But so he, never comes he does back. a terrible song called Charades, which is about him being sad. Oh, so bad. It's that one, song so bad. sounds like they're making it up on the yes. spot. Because <laughs> it is... <laughs> brutal yes it is one of i think it is maybe the worst song in the movie so terrible terrible song then they go to the talent show they do girl for all seasons which is the thing they've been practicing the entire movie with all their production mucks it all up oh my god and then okay so we're to believe that in the middle of girl for all seasons Michelle Pfeiffer goes into this like dream sequence where she's hallucinating (laughs) and she's like do you guys realize how crazy she would look in the middle of Girl for All Seasons? Oh, I know. (laughs) Absolutely. Doing this part. And then when she's done with this four minute like like she's gone and pretended she's doing this song. Okay, who's playing the music? Like the Girl for All Seasons music doesn't match her music. She would look insane. And then it ends and they're just like, oh my God, they're all clapping and applauding. Like, <laughs> you win. It, it's so, in- like, how? How on earth did that? I mean, I know it's a musical, but even by musical standards, it's nonsensical. It's pretty bad. Yeah. It reminds me of have you ever seen uh, on YouTube the when they take uh, uh, Wonder Years? And like, 
edit out the narration no. and it's just yes. like kevin standing there for three minutes staring at his mother that's great oh my gosh so so yeah so they go to the luau where they they not the prom which is it's just like just call it the prom what are we doing which is like I, and which is like not we'll always be together they're trying to do the same thing like waka waka right. waka you know like <laughs> it's bad yeah. so they uh this is where the, the biker gang shows back up, and then here comes our hero dressed in an even deeper V. Uh, <laughs> this one's down to his his ball hair, and then uh, they 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 beat up the the bad guys, and he takes off his. Well, you know why? He because realizes, he jumps the pool because he has this magical right. motorcycle ability to Some, jump any object. He's got springs. He's got springs in the in the. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, he's the, got a the pogo cycle. The, yeah, right. and, but for some reason, he jumps the pool and every motorcycle just follows. Nobody them. else they can all do it. Go into yeah. the pool. And then you know what? Yeah. You know what? That's it. That's the resolution. We never see That's the bad they, guys yeah. again. They don't get arrested. <laughs> we don't see yeah. them like, oh, you know, we're, we're okay. You guys got us. Like, it's just, they're gone. We never see them again. Right. And, uh, and so rather, rather than letting, Stephanie, Michelle Fiverr's character, break away from the pink ladies and kind of be her own person. Oh. They're like, no, man, you're cool. You can be a T. And what about the not? Thus negates the entire problem of the movie. <laughs> and what about not Kanicki? This guy is just like the guy that's hated him the whole movie because he jumped a pool and the bad guys <laughs> fell in a pool. He's like, hey, give me a jacket. Let's see how jacket. it fits. Like he has a change of heart. Let's give it to Evil Knievel. It's over so here. it's so like like let's wrap it up. Like here's our resolution. I I cannot stand movies that are just like uh we have to finish this all right now and then in one scene. <laughs> well, and we didn't even talk <laughs> and about that's what this is. He's got this girl, this other pink lady that's totally into oh, him yeah. that he's dating. Yeah. That he's but he like is still like trying to ditch her to get with Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, and and that is um. That's Judy Lorna Luft. Garland's. That's right? Junie Garland's daughter. Yeah, Lorna Luft. Oh, it yeah. is. Is Paulette? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't she's like that. you know she's the one that does. She's the blonde, and she's always got the yeah. cleavage and like revealing outfits and everything. Oh wait, you mean the the girl, not the teacher? Yeah. No, the teacher is is Connie Stevens, who had okay, who had who was in movie like there's some fan service in the movie. Connie Stevens was in a lot of 50s and 60s teen comedy movies and had some hits and. And uh, oh, okay. and so was okay. Tab Hunter, who played the teacher that sang the, reproduction. The, the substitute teacher. Right. I figured he that dude was somebody. Yeah, they doubled down on him big time. Yeah, and so man, it was it, this that was supposed this is to terrible. that was supposed to be their version of Frankie Avalon playing Teen Angel. Oh, that's what that was supposed to be. Oh, okay, and then all, and that's how this this is terrible. Yeah, this movie sucks. and then also so the little girl that runs around the whole time that wants to who be who I liked that little. I think I thought she was fun. Do you know who she is? No. That's the voice of Bobby Hill. That's funny. Oh, really? Yeah, that's Pamela Alden, I think yeah, is how you say her right. name. Yeah, that's right. Okay, and, okay. Yeah, and so she was, uh, and she ended up on a lot of Louis C.K. shows, and she's the voice of Bobby Hill, and like if you saw her, you would totally recognize her. She's been in a million things. She was just on This Is Us playing uh, Sterling K. Brown's psychiatrist. Um, okay. She was on Facts Alive. She was like, the girl that they like the troubled girl they adopted towards the end of the series like i remember her yeah okay i mean she's been in tons of stuff yeah and uh and i just want to circle back around i so while you were doing this i looked up the i was like who wrote that song reproduction (laughs) and so it's written by a guy named dennis lind or lindy i'm not sure it's l-i-n-d-e okay and i 
And I feel like I want to bring him up because I found this fascinating. First off, there's a St. Louis connection. He used to live in St. Louis. He was in uh, the band Bob Cuban and the End Men, who is a big local band from from this era, hmm. right, from the 50s, 60s era. And they had a, a song that was a, a big hit called The Cheater. Look out for The Cheater. Hmm. And, uh, okay. Um, Bob Cuban still alive, still plays in St. Louis all the time, and huh. uh, um, but he so he left that band to go to Nashville and be a songwriter, hmm. right? And okay. he wrote, yeah, look at this. He wrote "Burning Love" for Elvis Presley, hmm. like oh. "Hunka Hunka Burning Love." He wrote that. He wrote uh, he wrote um, "Bubba Shot the Jukebox" for Mark Chestnut. He wrote Baton Rouge for Garth Brooks, huh. John Deere Green for Joe Diffie, and uh, maybe his uh, short of Burning Love, his biggest song. He wrote Goodbye Earl for the Dixie Chicks. Huh. Wow. So oh, there you I go. just thought that was fascinating. So, but I yeah, mean, uh, that, that's some pedigree for a reason why you may or may like that song. Yeah, like and he like lived in St. Louis. I know you're a huge Dixie Chicks fan. Yeah, he graduated. Goodbye Earl is a great song, man. <laughs> and uh, right. he graduated from Normandy High for our local listeners. So, well, there we go. Well, this yeah. was just—I mean, <laughs> this was a train wreck. Yes, there's. Was, thank God Michelle Pfeiffer was in this movie. I guess, but it's like—I mean, really, it was. I, I was hoping to at least have her be good in it, though. But like you said, Joe, I agree. I—I I just don't think musicals are her thing, and it was awkward. Uh, yeah, it, bad songs, bad script, bad choreography, and uh, it was really just awful. Yes, it was very, very not good. But, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so next week uh, we will continue looking at misbegotten sequels. But we decided we're gonna uh, do come at this from a little bit of a different scenario since we're doing two movies a week. So we'll, I think, what we're gonna start doing for the for for the time being is we'll do an episode talking about the original movie that spawned it and then we'll talk about the uh the follow-up movie that uh, misses the mark so i love that yeah so So we get um, one good one at least for our weekly (laughs) by virtue of definition the first one should be pretty good if it it was good enough to spawn a sequel right normally you don't get bad movies spawning sequels um, which is why there has never been a Monster Squad 2. Um, oh, shut your <laughs> dirty mouth. Oh. Well, be sure and bring in a copy of Monster Squad 2, and I will issue to you. <laughs> oh, I'll, I a, will self-finance a heartfelt just to spite you. <laughs> At home on quarantine, Joe is going to make his family dress up and be Monster Squad. I mean, Corman, Cor- Roger Corman did say he wants to see you know the 8-millimeter uh, films that come out of this quarantine era. Oh. So, uh, so next week on our good movie, we will tackle... <laughs> I, you know, I, the other thing I love about this is I know so many people, they don't realize these movies exist, right? Like, so, yeah. like we had so many people reach out that said that they were like, wait, there was a sting too? Like, these are, <laughs> these are alien concepts yeah. to so many people because they've been for, kind of forgotten to time. And so next week, we're going to talk about, on the good end, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, one of the... F- God. finest examples of Hollywood yep. studio filmmaking of I would say the 70s but I think it's technically from 1969 but uh, yep. but and considered by many to be the greatest screenplay ever written like considered to be a perfect screenplay and it's uh, hard to dispute yeah and so uh, that is a wonderful movie there are actually two movies <laughs> that grew out of that uh, we're not sure which one we're tackling yet, uh, so we will get back to you. So, but your choices would be 
uh, Butch and Sundance, the early years where you've replaced uh, Paul Newman and Robert Redford with huge stars, uh, <laughs> Tom Berenger and William Cat. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, or but that was that but that was the screenplay was written in part by William Goldman, who wrote the screenplay for Butch Cassidy. So it's it's not just the same characters like it's got a direct tie. And then the other one was a made for TV movie called Wanted the Sundance Woman starring Catherine Ross, who played the Sundance kid's girlfriend. And this and it picks uh. up after that movie left off. So. We're going to watch decisions, both decisions. and figure out which makes the most sense. But that's what you have to look forward to next week. Wow. Isn't that exciting? Game on, real spoilers listeners. So if you're looking to do your homework, if you want to keep up with us, that's what you can can work on over the next week. So At least watch the first one. <laughs> at least watch the first Oh, yeah. Always watch the first and one. And if you've never seen the first one, you are in for a treat. I, you, you ain't know. lying. Yeah. So uh, um, I guess let's go around the table and everyone can say where to find them. This is Joe. You can follow me on the Twitter at Joey Butts, B-U-T-T-S 21. This is Kevin. Follow me on Twitter at Kevin R. Brackett. And this is Tom. You can follow me on Twitter at Roger Kubert or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Tom O'Keefe. Uh, you can find the show online, Facebook.com slash Real Spoilers. While you're there, like the page, join the group. Of course, be sure and subscribe wherever you're getting your podcast so you never miss an episode. And don't forget our Patreon, Patreon.com slash Real Spoilers. Five bucks a month all sorts of bonus content and you help us out and we greatly appreciate that so uh that's it for this one now you know what to look forward to next week we're going to tackle butch cassidy's <laughs> so thanks for tuning in and until next time troy and gabriella get the lead roles and now you see just how the stamen gets its lusty dust onto the stigma and why this frenzied chlorophyllous orgy starchy spring is no enigma we call this quest for satisfaction a what, class? A photoperiodic reaction. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's very good. Hey, I'm lost. Where are we? Chapter 2. Page 5. Reproduction. Reproduction. Put your call into work. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 